Hello, hi everybody. Um, I am obsessed with e-commerce and I am obsessed with customer experience. Um, and I'm here to tell you that e-commerce today is very boring. It's very boring. What is not boring is the environment that we're in today, this music festival-like setup. So the fact that you're inside this dark room when the sun is shining, it's warm, and the beer is cold suggests to me that you're also obsessed with e-commerce and customer experience. And I'd love to talk through why I think it's so boring. And the way I'm going to do that is ask you to think, who is going to get home in this room? We said there's about 400 people. How many of you are going to get home tonight and find a brown box on your doorstep? And if you do find a brown box on your doorstep, are you going to remember what's inside it? Because I'm pretty sure that I'm going to get home tonight and find a brown box and have no fucking idea what I bought. Because that's what e-commerce is today. It's the same mundane brown box full of stuff you don't remember. It's the same checkout experience, the same boring UX. And that sounds weird coming from me, someone who is admittedly an e-commerce guy and uh, currently making my living as one of the leaders of Glossier, which is, is hoping to be one of the future companies to define e-commerce. But I do think e-commerce today is dull as anything. But I think the future is not dull. The future is very exciting. And that's what we're hopefully going to leave you with the impression of when we finish today. Uh, the future of e-commerce is very exciting. But let's start with the past of e-commerce. So the first e-commerce transaction happened in 1994. Amazon and eBay launched in 1995, which means Amazon and eBay launched on devices that look like that. Um, many of you probably weren't even born when computers looked like that, uh, and a lot of you might not remember using them. Um, and uh, Windows 95 was probably the operating system. Uh, if you don't watch the Windows 95 launch party at least twice a year, you're missing out. It is the most entertaining video. That I, I swear, if you take one thing away from the next web this year, it's to go home and watch the Windows 95 launch party and watch Paul Allen just do his thing. It's incredible. But this is what e-commerce was in 1995. Um, it was, it was uh, really not that exciting UX. It didn't look great. But, but it was all about telling people they could have what they want delivered to them. No more messing around, like trying to find a parking space. No more bad checkout line experience. No more fighting with other people. Whatever you want, it's online. And you can have it delivered to your doorstep. What a luxury that was. And to be honest, e-commerce today, everything is pretty much still the same. The screen's a lot smaller, and it fits in your pocket. And, and you, you have these amazing, you know, sort of slightly better, more colorful UXs. But it's still the same thing. E-commerce is still everything you want delivered to your doorstep, kind of sold in the same way. It hasn't evolved that much. It has grown. It's grown fairly considerably. So this is one of those great charts you know, with my VC hat on, going from, from the bottom left to the top right. I think it's going to do that for the rest of most of our careers. E-commerce is, is definitely going to continue to grow and continue to take share from non-e-commerce sales. So it is exciting. And e-commerce has definitely captured share. And one of the main reasons is that Amazon has driven that. So this is in the US. Amazon is 44% last year in 2017. Amazon was 44% of all e-commerce transactions in 2017. That's true in most markets that Amazon plays. So most of, most of the Western world, Amazon dominates e-commerce. And what that means 
is that Amazon's paradigm for what a good e-commerce transaction is is the world's paradigm. Amazon has defined what good e-commerce is, and they have defined it as fewer clicks, fewer dollars, and fewer delivery days. Fewer clicks, fewer dollars, and fewer delivery days. And as a result of them defining what e-commerce should be, they are the victors because they can set themselves up with an unassailable lead. And so, as so often happens in history, the victors get to write the script, and Amazon is writing the script. They've defined it as fewer clicks, fewer dollars, and fewer delivery days. And as a result, they've built a total competitive advantage around that. The infinite shelf. You can buy anything on Amazon right now on your phone. We could all buy 500 different things with one click. Because there's so many things, they pioneered the algorithm recommendation, which is actually pretty good technology, and it works very well.、Uh, they realized that once you found the thing, they want to reduce the friction to you buying it. So the one-click checkout also works really well. And then underneath all of this, they've built some of the most incredible logistics the world's ever seen, perhaps since the Second World War. Frankly,、uh, it's really incredible, and they've done this in service of the fewer clicks. Fewer dollars and fewer delivery days for everything that you buy, and I mean everything, because four of the top five retailers in the U.S. are Amazon, Macy's, Walmart, and Costco. Now I know you're not all American; you might not know all these companies, but basically they're all hypermarchés. They, they sell everything, and they continue to sell everything online as well as some of them offline, and. What they are doing is the same as Amazon, offering you everything and trying to compete on that service promise.、Um, to put it in context, I was in Walmart, which is、uh, the, the biggest sort of retailer other than Amazon in the world, and I was in Walmart with a young colleague of mine, and we walked around and we were trying to find something, and it's, it's huge, like warehouse-type shopping experience. And she turns to me and she's like, "This is so funny. It's like offline Amazon." And, and she's right. It is,、um, because offline is also doing the same thing.、Um, if you look down the left-hand side of this page, you'll see a bunch of headlines that I'm sure you've seen in real life. You don't have to open too many newspapers or magazines to understand that retail is really struggling at the moment. Retail is in a tough spot. You don't need to walk too far outside of your house to see stores that look like the one on the right. Everything's on sale. Everything's got to go. Everything's on discount. And what's happening is retail is having to compete on the same premise that Amazon's setting online. So it's competing on price and competing on convenience. And what that means for brands who make the products is that these products are becoming the collateral in a battle royale for share of wallet and survival, because convenience and price is being prioritized over experience and brand. And so, as a result, shopping is boring. Everyone's selling the same thing. Everyone's trying to get it to you really conveniently and really cheaply. There's no more joy in shopping. Products are being commoditized into things. We have more things today, but we covet and we want them less. This is what commerce has become to us. It's not something we look forward to. It's something that we have to deal with when we get home. It's that lonely brown box on your doorstep, full of stuff that you don't remember buying and maybe don't even want anymore. So where's the innovation in experience? 
E-commerce innovation has been almost exclusively focused on speed and on convenience. It's been focused on the fewer clicks, the fewer dollars, and the fewer delivery days. It's been rushing you through a purchase transaction to get something to you. But there are no experiences to be excited about. If you think back to the early-ish days of e-commerce, the luxury brands, they refused to go online. For the longest time, some of the biggest luxury brands in the world would not sell on e-commerce. And they were called curmudgeonly, old-fashioned, out of touch, all these things. But actually, were they prescient? Did they understand the future of e-commerce? Did they see that it was going to be about convenience and price? And that the e-commerce experience would ultimately commoditize product? Because these are the people who see their product in such a beautiful and special light. Were they right that e-commerce would do that? Because that is exactly what's happening today to luxury products and every other product as well. People who have seen this and tried to capitalize on this are the direct-to-consumer companies, of which Glossier is one. We want to take advantage of the blandness in the retail landscape, and we're trying to build differentiated relationships with customers online to give them a different kind of experience. And we're doing this primarily in two ways. Number one, we're trying to own the transaction, so own the relationship with the customer at the point of transaction. And number two, by connecting with the customer on social media. Between those two things, we've been able to offer customers something different to what's been out there in the landscape thus far. And social media, I don't want to underplay the importance of it in this business model, what we've been able to do as direct consumers, because social is all about connection. And whilst e-commerce innovation has essentially stagnated to optimization of funnel, social media has exploded. And, and the investment in engaging people and entertaining people has been immense. Initially, social was about connection, connecting you with your friends, finding long-lost connections that you had once in the past, taking photographs of your food. But it's actually all about building more and more and more connections and engagement and shared views and shared beliefs. And that has been much more revolutionary than anything that e-commerce has done. So brands realized this. And they started inserting themselves into your social feeds. Uh, at first, it was organic. It was people sharing things that they liked or experiences that they'd had that were excellent, just talking about things. But brands realized that that drove sales. And they could sell their products directly through social. Because customers trust other customers. That's really important to, to remember. Customers trust other customers. 84% of millennials are likely to buy a product based off content put online by a stranger that they don't know. But because the content's online and someone is talking about products in a way that customer understands, they're more likely to buy stuff. To put it another way, over half of all customers would rather pull out their phone and research uh, a product online than talk to a paid salesperson. So let's just think about that for a second. You're in a store. You're looking at a product that you quite like. Someone wanders over and is like, hi, how can I help you? And you're like, no, 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 no. I'd rather pull out my phone and find out what someone on YouTube is saying about this product than get your advice. And that's because people have lost trust in brands. And simultaneously, social has put power into the hands of communities to give advice. 
at Glossier, we're trying to capitalize on this, and we're building direct connections with customers. We're giving our customers tools to share their opinions about Glossier, because ultimately, it doesn't matter what Glossier says about Glossier. It matters what customers say about Glossier. Because as I said, there's no trust in commerce. There's no trust for brands. E-commerce is focused so much on speeding you through the funnel and making you buy things that you might not even want or remember. But social media has focused on entertainment and connection and the education of discovery. And so social has captured all that engagement and trust. And they've built really big businesses doing it. Um, and e-commerce has let them do that. But the direct-to-consumer companies are the companies that are challenging this model. They understand the value of the one-to-one -one interactions with our customers. That's why we don't sell through third-party retailers. We want to have that relationship directly with our customer. But if we believe that about the point of sale, and everything I just said about e-commerce focusing only on the point of sale and not on the engagement, why shouldn't we, as direct-to-consumer brands, want to own the entire conversation? Why are we OK wholesaling the conversation to social media platforms? If the value is in the customer engagement, shouldn't we own the most valuable part of the customer relationship, which is that engagement? Glossier receives a DM on Instagram every 20 seconds. Uh, in 2017, half a billion people saw Glossier-related content on Instagram. This year, it will be significantly more than that. That's great. But that's all on a platform that is not ours. We don't own it. We don't control it. We are completely beholden to them. Social media platforms love this engagement because they make lots of money out of it. They're, all, they're in, in the business of keeping you engaged and keeping those conversations going because they need your time. That's what they're selling. But is their benefit from engagement around our products symbiotic to us? Social media has been the strategy of brands for so long but are we now too beholden to them? They control the terms of engagement with our own customers. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, they tell us how we can engage with our own customers. Um, some of you might remember the great Facebook bait and switch of a few years ago, where Facebook encouraged brands to build these huge followings on Facebook. And you remember for a period of time, you couldn't buy any product without it saying, like, come follow us on Facebook. And there were these huge giveaways trying to encourage people to go on Facebook and follow brands. And then all of a sudden, Facebook changed its algorithm and said, oh, if you want to access your own customers, you're going to have to pay us. Because they're a business, and their business needs may be in conflict with the brands on the platform. So if they can do that with Facebook, when's the great Instagram bait and switch going to happen? Because it will eventually. And that means we, as brands, are making the same Faustian bargain that the brands of old used to make with the wholesale partners. You're trading your end-to-end -end relationship with customer for reach provided by a platform you don't control. And that, as I said, is a Faustian bargain. There are significant downsides to that. And it's very hard to back out of that relationship. You get addicted to it. And someone else continues to own the relationship with your customer instead of you, the brand. And that is ultimately not good for the brand, but especially not good for customer experience. So what should brands do? What can we do about this? We're in this bind. How do we make things better? Most brands are still focused on the transaction. They're investing in helping conversion, speeding people through the funnel again. They're trying to get the purchase path 
of least resistance. Get the product in your hands as easily and quickly as possible. But does this inspire? Does this build relationships? Does this bring joy to anyone? No. It's adequate. That's it. But why are we so focused on this transactional user journey? Why aren't we creating a whole new experience to engage customers long before the purchase decision happens? Why aren't brands using technology to engage customers in new and deeper ways? Why aren't they changing their business models to foster much deeper connections than exist right now? Because customers deserve conversation. They deserve emotional connection. They deserve context, and they deserve feelings. And we can't do that as brands unless we are directly involved in them. Shopping should be social, and people should no longer be seen as customers. They should be seen as stakeholders in the brands from which they buy and the brands which they then promote. And to do this, brands have to leverage technology to engage customers directly and understand what those customers want so they can give it to them. Customers should drive product development. Customers should drive brand strategy. And ultimately, customers should drive sales. That's the future. Customers become stakeholders and cease to just be customers. They are stakeholders of the brand. We are just stewards of it. And therefore, brands have to take control of the entire customer relationship. No more wholesaling the top of funnel. No more wholesaling the relationship part and just owning the transaction part. We cannot engage engagement and connection. Sorry, we cannot outsource engagement and connection to social media. Brands must enable relationships, conversations, emotions to happen directly with customers and build a truly vertically integrated customer experience. I find it funny where direct to consumer brands are called vertically integrated brands, but most of us actually aren't. We don't have vertically integrated supply chains, most of us. We don't own our own factories. But we must become vertically integrated when it comes to the customer relationship. We must own all of the customer relationship and vertically integrate that. So in the future, the customers we have will come to Glossier.com. The stakeholders will come to Glossier.com for two reasons. One, to buy products. We're still in the business of making and selling great products, and we want people to have them. But two, to meet someone interesting, to engage, to share content, to share opinions, to bond. And whether that person buys or does not buy, they should still have a great brand experience. And from that, Glossier can learn. Glossier can use that engagement to learn and respond and give people what they want. And in so doing, we can stop helping customers make better decisions about what to buy, and we can start speaking with customers and have them help us make better decisions about what to make. We're not selling to them. We're co-creating with them. And then they are becoming stakeholders. If they help create something, they are going to want to talk about it and tell their friends. And their relationship with those products and the brand itself will be so much better and deeper. The brands of the future will not be delivered through fewer clicks, fewer dollars, and fewer delivery days. They won't. That's the last 23 years. That's over. Brands of the future will use technology to be stakeholder brands that are co-created by their customers. This requires a significant technological investment from direct-to-consumer brands. It's going to require huge engineering teams. Glossier's technology team is well over a third of our company. We are a technology company. 
We're a beauty business, but a technology company. And the brands of the future are going to have to be that. They're going to have to be technology companies, because otherwise, we're forever going to be beholden to those tech companies that are already sitting on top of the Fortune 500 and will be for a long time to come unless we build the tools to displace them and own our own customer relationships. Thank you.